right, folks, welcome back to another edition of the Not Funny Guys Presents Why, exploring the philosophy, rhetoric, and cultural impact of the MCU. I am your host, Dr. John, and I'm joined by one of my best friends, Eric, who knows some but not a lot about philosophy. Ooh, no, no. Rhetoric? <laughs> no. All right. How about comic books? You know me? I got yeah. the movies. Movies, got it. <laughs> Which wife, folks, he is here to talk to me. So this pod is an extension of our main podcast, and Not Funny Guys present Off the Reels, where we explore the films, and here we'll explore some of the ideas that stick out and have some little debate, discussion, whatever you want to think about it, about those things, uh, starting by asking why. Now, before we jump into this episode, I do want to harken back to our main episode that you should go check out came out Tuesday and something that I had forgotten to mention, but something that I had noticed when I caught it, when I saw the movie the first time, it's a cameo. I noticed it immediately. The first time I happened to forget about it when I did the rewatch, but when I was in the theaters, I caught this cameo. I went and saw this film, by the way, folks in theaters with my daughter specifically. Now the cameo is Kelly Sue DeConnick who has bright pink hair she is the wife of matt fraction another comic book writer and she was a writer on the comic book captain marvel she actually appears in the sequence where carol danvers as this point still veers loses the scroll from the train where she just saw stan lee okay so that's where it is if you want to she's kind of searching through before she starts punching the old lady it's basically when she loses her off the train on the platform they get okay. back to the platform and and you can see her. You can't miss her with the pink hair, actually. She walks right past her. It's a fun little cameo. Yeah. Uh, and I happen to have forgotten to mention that in the main pod, so I had to bring that up. So if you haven't figured this out, folks, already, this is episode 14. We are talking about Cats and Marvel, and we will mention some Ant-Man Wasp, too. Um, I think we covered, I mean, quite, we covered quite a bit of that on the main pod, and that's just a fun film. And since we're going to be diving deeper here, uh, you'll see why I've chosen to focus on Captain Marvel. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm just realizing, like, based on the very limited knowledge I have going into this conversation ahead of time, <laughs> what you told me the topic is at least about. I feel like Ant Man and the Wasp will play in pretty well. I mean, it is. We can circle Anda, back to it, right? So we yeah, we've we, added the Anda. So we'll yeah, we can we can we can circle back to that. That's worth mentioning. So yeah, you'll see in a minute, folks. So let's start with our comic book origins, and let's start with Captain Marvel, aka Carol Danvers, aka Carol Susan Jane Danvers who was created by Roy Thomas and Jean Cullen, and she first appeared in Marvel Superheroes number 13 in 1968 as herself. Because hmm. here's the fun part. She has not gone by Captain Marvel this entire time. In fact, she's gone by several. Her first was as Miss Marvel, and it's pre- in that she appeared in Miss Marvel number one in 1977, when she got her own title. Basically, she was kind of like a fill-in character. Then she became binary in Uncanny X-Men number 164 in 1982. Like that was her name, binary? Yeah, but she rebranded as the character binary. And then she became Warbird in the Avengers number four in 1998. Okay. That's, by the way, right after they came back from, uh, that's during the Kurt Busiek, um, George Perez run, I believe. Um, And then as Captain Marvel, finally, in Avenging Spider-Man number nine in 2012. So it took her a while to actually get the whole Captain Marvel title. The Miss Marvel one was the one she went by for a very long time. In fact, at one point, Iron Man appointed her the leader of the Avengers during the time. And, and of I mean, the same, 
same character, Carol Danvers. Yes, same. This is the same Carol Danvers. Now, her powers actually come from having her DNA. Same powers, too? Yes, in pretty the much. Same name. Pretty much fused with the Kree hero Marvel, the original Captain Marvel. And this happened during an explosion. Sound familiar? Sort of. If you've seen the film. Wow. Yeah. Now, <laughs> speaking of the more characters, we also have Talos. Or as he is known in the comic books, Talos the Untamed was created by Peter David and Gary Frank in 1994. He first appeared in The Incredible Hulk number 418. He is a scroll and a shapeshifter, except he's not because he is a mutant among his own people and that he cannot actually shapeshift. Well, in the comic books. In the comics, he does yeah. have super strength and, and durability. Weird. Why? Yeah, and he, he, it, said, is he it is ever a, explained why? I'm not exactly. I did not fully look that up, but yeah. Um, now he did join a team called members of. He is a member of what's co- was called the United Front. It was part of a crossover team made up of characters like Drax, Gamora, other Guardians, Moon Dragon, Nova, Quasar, and more. All characters in sort of the cosmic realm of the um, in, the Marvel comic universe. Now, speaking of another, shall we say, slightly drastic character, Maria Rambo, in the comic books is just Monica Rambo's mom, nothing else. In fact, she owns a dress shop in New Orleans. She was created by Roger Stern and Al Milligram and first appeared in Avengers number 246 in 1984. She simply raised Monica. That is her only role in the comic books primarily. So they kind of gave her a much more robust backstory in the uh, in the MCU version. Now, Somebody I don't think I've mentioned yet, but we should, is one Agent Phil Colston, who I think we have neglected till this point. Um, of course, we saw him first appear in the comic books in Iron Man in, in 2008, and then we oh. saw him die in Avengers number, I'm sorry, Avengers the first movie in 2012. Naming the group, if yes. if, I, if I may. Well, I mean, yes, exactly. ar- arguably it was re- retconned in, in yes. Captain Marvel. Yes, um, now, he, of course, he has had a much larger role in the MCU. And guess what's funny about him? In the comic books, he first appeared in 2012, the same year he died in the movies. He didn't name in, them. I'm inspired. Well, he, yeah. In Battle Scars number six in 2012, he was created by Christopher Yost, Matt Fraction, and Colin Bunn. Um, and, of course, this is after. This is four years after his MCU appearance. So, in many ways, he's kind of retconned. Um, that is to say, he was a retroactively inserted into the comics. Yeah, because he was he was an MCU original, if you will. Exactly right? when he when he first came mm-hmm. on set and yes, Iron and then Man? he kind of in Iron Man, yeah, in two thousand eight yeah. Iron Man. So four years later, around the same time he dies supposedly in the movie MCU verse, he actually then is born in the comics in reverse. In fact, he turns out to his main backstory is that he is an Army Ranger teammate who is apparently nicknamed Cheese. Uh, of Nick Fury Jr. And Nick Fury Jr. is Nick Fury's son, and he is the one who actually looks like Sam Jackson. Huh. Okay. So we go from having, you know, uh, and that's how we get white, the Sam white Jackson. Boy, white boy in our in the in in on Earth 616, yes, and not the <laughs> ultimate universe. So we get white boy Nick Fury has an African American son. So gotcha. So also speaking of that, so let's let's shift over to Captain, um, sorry, to Ant-Man and Wasp and mention that we do have three new characters. We have uh, officially Janet Van Dyme, Bill Foster and Ghost. 
Uh, Janet Van Dyme, of course, is the wife and what comic book wife and partner of Hank Pym's Ant Man. They've also been like married, divorced. I think she flirted with Tony Stark for a long time. Fun yeah, stuff. she did. She did date him. That yeah, was before she actually knew he was Iron Man. She didn't know back he was when Iron we were ranking things. That was one of my favorite Iron Man suits. Exactly, it was the one right. that turned into the moped when he was on a date with her. Yep. Uh, she was created by Stan Lee, Ernie Hart, and Jack Kirby, and first appeared in Tales to Astonish number forty-four in nineteen sixty-three. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can see her powers as they are supposed to be in the character of Hope in the MCU. So what you see on display with Hope in the in Ant Man and Wasp is pretty close to what the original Wasp had in terms of powers. You know the suit, mm-hmm. um, and of course, like Ant Man himself, she was a in the comic books a founding member of the Avengers along with Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, and then of course Ant Man. Captain America came later. Right. Um, of course, we also have Bill Foster, or as he's known, Dr. William Bill Foster, um, <laughs> who has gone by several monikers, including Black Goliath, Giant Man, and just Goliath. In the comic books, he was created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, and he first appeared in 1966 in The Avengers number 32. Um, he actually got his PhD in biochemistry from Caltech, where he was an assistant to Hank Pym. Mm. Interesting side note. Kind in of plays the com- into the, the movie as well. Yes, it does. Now, interestingly enough, in the comic books, and I not I have not checked recently, during the original Civil War comic book run, Hank Pym had made a sort of robotic clone of Thor who was not around, um, which is funny because, you know, Thor wasn't around for the Civil War storyline either. Um, mm-hmm. And this Thor had no compunction of killing. In fact, he killed Goliath, a.k.a. Bill Foster. And it was one of the moments in the battles of the Civil War that actually turned a lot of people against Tony Stark. Mm. Um, in fact, that when they buried him, they had to dig a giant hole because they couldn't shrink him back down. It's really unfortunate. Tragic. It's nothing dead. like watching Milnir shoot a hole through a guy. Yeah. You know. And so then I mean, this leads yeah. No. We're about <laughs> to get to a place where we have that sort of Thor. Yes. Um, and of course, then we also have Ghost. Originally it was a man, as we noted on the pod, uh, created by David uh David Michelin and Bob Layton first appeared in Iron Man number 219 in 1987. He was an ingenious inventor and hacker who wears a battle suit that allows him to become invisible and intangible, which is funny because that's kind of like the inverse of what the ghost in the MCU where the suit is meant to help her remain mm-hmm. solid rather than because she is actually invisible, can be invisible and intangible. So that's one of those uh split things plus in the mcu they make a direct connection of connecting ghost to pym um rather than the male version from the comic books who is more directly an adversary of iron man hmm. makes sense now all this said and I, like i said i think you you hinted at this area we might swing back to ant-man and wasp along the way but i wanted to make our primary focus here about captain marvel and particularly i thought it was interesting the ways that Marvel was trying to sort of give us what you might call a feminist superhero, uh, a real feminist superhero in the MCU. Now, um, I think it's important before we go for any further, let us simply find a working <laughs> definition. As I would tell some of my students, let us have a working definition of what feminism is, because if you mm. ask people what feminism is, you might get several different answers. Uh, and I'm pulling this one from the International Women's Development Agency, and they define it as quite simply, feminism is about all genders having equal rights and opportunities. 
It's about respecting diverse women's experiences, identities, knowledge, and strengths, and striving to empower all women to realize their full rights. It's about leveling the playing field between genders, ensuring a diverse uh, that diverse women and girls have the opportunities in life available to boys and men. Okay, I think it's a nice middle of the road definition there too. What about boys to men? <laughs> uh, sorry folks I'm i don't sorry. Wanna, i'll see myself out yeah i don't want to have to i don't want to have to i don't want to have to ad lib is, is it i'll make love to you oh no, let's yeah. not do that no, let's not do that no Shh. <laughs> john john just don't just don't okay i'm talking to myself there okay now let's talk about this and there is some split perception on this so i want i what i found here are two different articles sort of coming at this idea about whether or not Captain Marvel is a real representation of feminism. And it comes at these from two different ways. These are both from 2019. One is a Mashable.com article by Jess Joho. And, and so she says, Captain Marvel's feminism feels not only like a step backwards, but reactive to the male superheroes long since established in the MCU. Danvers feels like an afterthought, a, devi a deviation from the main storyline. To be fair to Captain Marvel's creators, they had their work cut out for them in telling a story, uh, an origin story for a brand new character a mere month before the release of the final Avengers Endgame. As a result, I can't shake the sense that Captain Marvel as a retrofit, the result of executive realizing midway through phase three, oh shit, we don't have our own feminist icon. In the movie's last-minute scramble to justify adding Captain Marvel to the Avengers Boys Club, it fails to let Danvers' story stand on uh, on its own two legs. The movie never rises above the level of an advertisement cashing in on hashtag feminism because it stinks of corporate-mandated female empowerment. And also, because it feels like an awful lot like Marvel's half-hearted, long-overdue apology for ignoring women superheroes fantasies for whopping 20 movies released since 2008 now that is one take that i found now i have found another take that comes at it differently can we can we go ahead and i got a comment to that all right, all right. I, well i got i got i got a comment on it maybe okay. not a rebuttal comment comment i think the first part of that is debatably true i don't mm -hmm. know that it's quite as as um drastic as they put it which is that like halfway through phase three they realized they needed someone i, I think they made that, that feels, realization earlier i think I, that i think they did make that realization earlier and i think that in some ways i feel like that is perhaps a um i don't want to be derogatory here but the idea that perhaps you are not clearly looking at this objectively yeah shall we say yes um, you yes, obviously you obviously have a uh, an issue there's with a female representation, and they have not always done this well in either, uh, you know, and, in any movie universe, to be quite honest. And I, mean, I would and I would argue that this person's kind of argument stems from the fact that the movie, I might agree, is a little rushed feeling throughout mm -hmm. the entire plot, right? It feels like there's a lot of beats when they could have probably cut something. Yeah. Um. And that's fine. Like it, maybe it should have been a two and a half hour movie, and it was, it, you know, they cut it down. Which, for the sake of of shorter movies, I don't mind. Um, but that said, I can understand why they thought that. That said, 
I still think that the movie was good, right? I still yeah. think that it, it they produced a good movie given what the task was at hand, mm-hmm. you know, to her first point. But to her second point, I think she is wrong. I do not feel that the movie was some sort of feminist send-up the entire time. It was clearly celebrating Carol Danvers mm-hmm. and her femininity, you know, her her womanhood, her 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 being a woman, whatever. But that's par for the course. I I, I don't. Oh, I, I don't... think I think there's worth noting here that you have to consider the fact that you're trying to, in a sense, deliver this in a way that's not going to alienate a male audience too. Sure, like you're, you're well, trying to you're a little bit trying to split the difference somewhat. Yeah, I don't know that you're you should. I don't know if that's. No, I know. Like I don't the really way you're agree with that. I'm just I'm speaking. But yeah, I, I guess I from a, it. getting really down to the the operational weeds of of the business, I'm sure they were like, well, we can't lose this portion of viewers, you know. And, well, and they're so trying to maximize their audience, yeah. and they, and they realize, and so I mean, but I think that's something that I I have actually felt decently okay about with Marvel in general is that they did front load mm. traditional. Mm you know straight up action you know superhero right. movies particularly in phase one right because that sort of is meant to sort of set a tone to bring an audience in and then once you have that audience that's when you can start diversifying and spreading your wings a little bit more and doing things breaking the mold in a sense well Which i still think they i still think they struggle to do that sometimes however i think i applaud them for the effort but know? i also think i mean not to defend the studios or anything like mm. that here but i think that there's an argument to be made that these kind of male leading characters whether or not they should have come first became first because so did they in the comic books right True. for the for at the beginning comic books were dominated by male characters interestingly and enough they were dominated were... by male characters but also had a very high female readership yeah so in the 1930s so it takes effort to Mm -hmm. to move the needle sometimes and captain marvel might be showing its work a little bit but it's a good movie and i don't think it's a feminist send-up like i feel like to try to dismiss it as that is is wrong watching it again myself personally i realized how enjoyable of a movie it is though i think the jude law aspect maybe could have been lost or or maybe the the um, marvell part well it's it's it it was a little bloated it's interesting that you know the on rog bit because that comes into this next article. Now, this yeah. next article comes at this from a much more, shall we say, positive view of this. And this is written by Rashida Wilson, um, pointing to Captain Marvel as actually the ultimate feminist superhero. She's putting her above, say, Wonder Woman and other characters. In fact, I cut it because it wasn't necessarily relevant, but she mm-hmm. even points out that Captain Marvel is perhaps better handled than even Harley Quinn has been in some of the mainline movie depictions. And that treating her less because, well, and she was specifically was referencing the first Suicide Squad that made Harley into kind of like a mewling, abusive relationship girlfriend to Joker, which is not inaccurate to the comic books. But if you're looking for someone to represent and I left that out because I didn't want us to get detoured because I know you are a big Harley Quinn fan and we'll get around to that one day. I know we will talk. Yeah, I know. Shelf behind me. (laughs) He is shelf behind you in the pop figures. I we Yeah. yeah. So I, I left that out, but I just wanted to bring that back just so you know that she this is why this person is perhaps coming at this from a more positive view. And she says that the MCU is being credited with including positive media representation of marginalized identities. 
Marvel has yet has an, has another strategic move to tackle issues concerning the lack of diversity in superhero films with the March release. And this was but back. This was written back in April 2019 of Captain Marvel. And she also referenced Black Panther and other things as well. But I'm focused since we're focusing here. This was directed by the American filmmaking duo of Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. This time, the MCU turns the spotlight away from male superheroes and towards one of Marvel's many female comic book characters who has until now been overlooked by film industry. As Marvel's first female superhero lead, Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, breaks a lot of barriers in the realm of the superhero cinema. Danvers delivers a has a backstory that not is not centered on being the romantic love interest of the male lead or victim of male violence who is a scorned and disgraced woman uh, hell-bent on revenge. So we're not playing into some cliches. I mean, those are, you know, some cliche tropes. That's how you get female supervillains sometimes right there. Um, Danvers, well, I mean, even even if you go back to the comic origins of, say, Black Widow, she was a femme fatale. I mean, mm-hmm. not exactly the greatest. Like, I mean, shall they, we say they portrayed I mean, her very... as much in in when yes. she was introduced in the Iron Man. They do. They actually Two. do play on that. Interestingly enough, um, Danvers' interactions with male characters is a key way that Captain Marvel is set apart from other female-led superhero films. Danvers does not allow herself to be objectified or undermined, and always demands respect from her male counterparts. Captain Marvel essentially allows a woman. And they're speaking about the movie here to fight back right. against the abuser who took advantage of her. This is where we get to Jan Rog okay. when she was at her most failure. He attempted to control Danvers by making her feel like she needed to downplay her powers so she didn't come across as overtly emotional. Notice how he plays on that. You learn to control your emotions because mm-hmm. what is the stereotype used against women? Right. Not that men can't be. Have you guys checked Hysteria. out? Don- Have Hysteria. you guys checked out Donald Trump's true social? <laughs> or Mike Lindell whenever he gets in front of a deposition? Come is on. He still around? Is he doing oh yeah, okay? he's still there. He's still there. Yeah. Is he okay? I mean, no, he, I know he's not, not okay. No, probably but not. Like, is he okay? We'll get more into that in the political <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Something that many women can relate to: this idea of being put down or overlooked, which undermines yeah. that emotional intelligence is valuable and important to decision making. So this leads us to our main question. I think I'd like to, now that we have presented this and we've kind of already started on this now, keeping in mind, and let me say this for the audience, we are both men. So inevitably we may likely be wrong and we, we accept may. that <laughs> is Captain Marvel, a good feminist superhero, agree, disagree, or both. What do we think? Do we think based on our male gaze <laughs> that Captain Marvel oh, is a good feminist superhero and that Captain Marvel, the movie is a good step in the right direction. So I will say that I don't think it's perfect. I think I can look at it and say that there are flaws, but I think that for taking the script and flipping it and making an attempt to like flip the script, put the female in the lead, but make the male all supporting characters. And when there's someone needs help, who does she turn to? She turns to her other female. She turns to Maria Rambo first. That's where her mind leads her in a lot of ways. So there is this idea that, you know, I do feel that it is a good attempt at a feminine. I don't think it's perfect. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Slowly I tread in. (laughs) And mine's everywhere here, folks. 
I, you know, I if think, you need to go lock the door so your wife can't come in, I'll lock mine so we don't get they won't <laughs> No, no, us. she's she's <laughs> welcome, John. Yeah, I know she's I know. welcome. <laughs> we won't secretly disappear when this is over with. No, I, I think look, I, I think you have to start with I what I know you're not supposed to start with, which is a question, which is how do you define feminism, right? I I, I think that's that was a fair point you asked kind of earlier. I think you defined yeah, it. No, I remember I provide the definition. I said yeah. But, about but I mean more than just the agency. definition, right? I mean, more than well, just the definition. What do you expect to see? What do you expect you know, out of well, that? Well, I mean, like, yeah, but I mean, like, think about it this way. When we think sometimes about uh, particularly important characters in uh, whatever story, is does yeah. that character have agency? Or is that character left without agency and bound and um, reliant on other characters? And I think that in that sense, I have no doubts that Captain Marvel has an incredibly strong agency that she does not allow others to, shall we say, tamp down, especially when she gets to Earth. I think the moment she arrives on Earth and when she breaks out of that scroll ship from that moment forward, there is a real kind of like freeing of her character to have her own agency. You know, she's far away from these people like Yon Rog who've been controlling her, making her feel like she needs to be part of the team. You know, the way that the, you know, the male pilots back on Earth when she was trying to become a fighter pilot were say it's called a cockpit for a reason. Mm -hmm. These people who are trying to deny her agency and how, you know, when the scrolls are looking through her brain, oh, okay. there is that whole sequence where we see her falling down. But what does she do? She gets back up. So there is right. a sense of trying to project the sense of empowerment. Now, so that's why I think it does. I like I said, I don't think it's perfect, but I think right. it's a step in the right direction, which is what I think is good. We have to make these attempts, particularly in a film industry where, particularly in a superhero genre, where most people expect things to be Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. You know, who are Incredible Hulk? Who are these powerful male characters? And unfortunately, hmm. I you know I will say this: I think they did Black Widow wrong hmm. by waiting so long to give hmm. her a film. Why did she have to wait? Why yeah. did she have to play second fiddle? I mean, yeah, you did the whole, you know, do the stereotype thing on her first appearance in Iron Man 2, and you even then kind of threw it on its head a little bit, but not really. You know, you just added a layer that, you know, she's not the just the pretty thing you think she is. She's obviously got fighting skills, but that doesn't necessarily strike me as being um, truly an, uh, someone with agency because she's still working for Nick Fury the whole time. She's under a male authority. So she's not sure, really out sure. there on her own, which is what I think is different about Captain Marvel and that she is strike. She when especially when she comes to Earth and she's on her own and she strikes out on her own. She finds she doesn't need these other people. Because in the fact, they, they are not a team. They're there to they're there to sort of uh, cordon her off and right. keep her in a pen. Yeah, she's a being lot of controlled, ways. not not collaborated with. Exactly. And that's why they're really there. That's why Jan Rog is, you know, he's the guy who basically kidnapped her. You know, she's been Stockholm this whole time, you know, into yeah. identifying with her, uh, basically her abuser. I mean, she was basically human trafficked folks and then finds, no, she kind of is. Uh -huh. I mean, in a really unfortunate way, she is taken and literally taken. And not only that, but then they gaslight her and Stockholm. And, you know, I don't even say she has Stockholm syndrome because she doesn't remember. This is like full on gaslighting. This is like yeah. you've, you've taken somebody and it's almost like, I don't want to make this direct comparison, but because of her lack of memory, you've literally taken somebody who is at the same agency level as a child. 
and then told them what to do and how to behave and lied to them and trained them and groomed yeah. her to be their weapon against yeah. the people I mean, against the scrolls. I, I mean, it's kind of yeah. dark. I mean, if you really dig down in this, it's kind of dark. So the idea that she would punch a hole through all that is kind of like, even from a male point of view, I'm like, yeah, get it. You know, that's just yeah. me. No, I agree. I mean, I think I'll ask you on the punching through it part, but like, well, just like the idea that there's been all this stuff that should, by any definition, leave her under the control of some male figure. Like she shouldn't break out of this. This should be like something that she, a system she stays stuck in. Hmm. But when she's literally given the opportunity to sort of not necessarily escape, she's kidnapped by another group who she does escape from. But when right. she makes the escape, like it's almost like, okay, here's a great way. Another way. I'll say it another way. And, and let's go with a maybe non, um, a gender neutral type of view on this. Um, who here is familiar with the allegory of the cave by Plato? Are you familiar? I don't think okay. so. Okay. So the allegory of the cave is this idea that human existence is like being chained in a cave and we see things on the wall. What we see on the wall in front of us in the cave are shadows. They're not real. Someone behind us we can't see is projecting them in front of a fire. So everything we see in this world is in fact not really real it's a shadow of the real and so this idea though is that at one point the person who is trapped in the cave is able to break out and escape into the real world and find out what is truly there if you guys have ever, if anybody wants to watch the silo on apple plus they're doing kind of a bit of the same thing well, they're playing on the idea of the of the, of the cave, of the allegory of the cave too but the idea is that there is this desire of the human to break out and find the true real, the truth. Philosophy is supposed to lead you. You know, this love of knowledge is supposed to lead you out of this cave where you are basically kind of the world is showing you things and you're accepting them as is. And then, but if you're the one who's able to leave the cave, you become somebody who truly becomes enlightened, is able to see what the world is, not just what someone allows you to see. You become you basically obtain agency for yourself by doing this too. And I think you could sort of see this if I wanted to apply this and overlap this with Captain Marvel. Everything she experiences with she when she's with Yon Rog and that team when they're going on the mission before all that, that is her in the cave. And then and she transfers, sure. in fact, she weirdly enough, she transfers to a different cage cave with the scrolls. And when she breaks out of their ship and crashes down to Earth, in many ways, that is her first step into the quote-unquote real world or the closest she's getting to truth. She actually then goes on her journey to find the truth of what's really going on as well as her own identity, no, which has been stolen yeah, from sense. her. Right. You know? So I, I want to bring it back there so that we don't feel too uncomfortable with the fact that it's two males talking about women. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, still, I still think that's a, a fascinating thing. And I think what's interesting about feminism is that if we take that definition of feminism that we read at the beginning, mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, what feminism, according to this, was all about is the idea that it's all about all genders having equal rights and opportunities. And so I mean, I would if, we've been give, if we've been having this same kind of story being told with male leads, why can we not have it with a female lead? There should be no distinction. I mean, there should be no need. I mean, honestly, it's sad that we have to make this distinction, but the idea should be that there should be no necessarily difference if we tell a good story, whether it's a male lead, a female lead. It can be both. It doesn't matter. 
And that's one of the reasons why I've never had a problem when they uh, gender switch characters. For me, a gender switch character doesn't necessarily, does nothing to undermine a story to me because I'm like, if we, if we apply this definition of feminism, why does it matter? Right. If you change the gender of a character, so what it's, is it still the same character other than the fact that you, you know, you castrated him or you gave, or you gave her, a, you know, whatever you want to say about it. I mean, I'm just, I'm saying that for an extreme point of view, because you know, there's some, you know, there's some person out there in the manosphere who's going to be like, what do you mean? You castrated my favorite character. You made him a girl. I'm like, no, we just took a character and happened to change the genders. At no point have we actually affected the character itself. You're just mad because you apparently wrapped your identification in the character around the gender rather than the character itself. And I think what Captain Marvel yeah. does for the MCU in a positive way, though not perfect, is start to push that idea that we don't have to necessarily always have just male leads, as we've been doing in a sense at this point. I mean, we're we're almost at the end of phase three here, and we finally get a full female-led movie. Right. It took a while, but I think you know. Again, I and it's see- not just a female-led movie; it's a female-led movie that doesn't hinge on her sexuality or her exactly. desire her, for a relationship yeah, exactly. or anything. I would I say mean, the whole movie roughly passes the Bechdel test. You know. Yeah. No. I mean, definitely. I mean, um, you know, for example, you know, if we want to consider this idea, um. You know, and and I think that was in one of the the things we talked about the idea that mm. this is a finally we're seeing a character who's not objectified, right? You know, we're moving out of this need to objectify the characters, and literally we're treating Captain Marvel as as if she's a character first. Her gender, in many ways, is less important. Agreed. We're downplaying it, not for the sake of ignoring it, but to sort of demonstrate that it is just as equal to a male, which which is essentially the definition of feminism that you read right it's it's not it's not promotion it's it's equality yes and And arguably it requires equity to get there yes and that's why i'm 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 honestly one of my favorite sequences in the film is when they play no doubts i'm just a girl Hmm. that fight scene because if you listen to the lyrics of those that song it is a play on the fact that because someone is quote-unquote a girl they're not allowed to do the things that the boys are doing it's a commentary on this sort of chauvinistic treatment of women that Gwen Stefani is making note of because who is she? She's one girl in a band full of guys, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's a standout moment to sort of illustrate that. And it's fun that it's set in the 1990s when we started having some, shall we say, renewed conversations about these kind of things, particularly when and what we might consider the more alternative pop culture music scene these things started picking up some pace. I think if we, mm-hmm. we were to look at this in a more historical light. Yeah. So I do think it's fascinating. Plus I'm as being a child of both the eighties and nineties, it's fun to just see the 1990s again. It's like, Oh, look, blockbuster. <laughs> ah, blockbuster. Or to hear these songs as if they were like, of oh, the time, you know, exactly. She's wearing a nine inch nails t-shirt. Yeah. Like, All right. <laughs> it's like, let's go back to high school and junior high. Let's do mm-hmm. it. You know, yeah, but I mean that the thing, and that speaks to the fun of it. So I mean, I think people, I I don't have a problem with um, Joho, the first critic's take on it, though I don't think she's, um, I think she is in a way correct in the fact that I don't think she's correct in the sort of process thinking that somehow this is a, a male gaze process thinking, yeah. and I do think she has a point to saying that it feels like this should have been sooner, yeah. and that maybe you know. 
there may be a hyperbolic uh, depiction of feminism, the hashtag feminism thing, in order to maybe overcompensate for the deficiency that has gone before. I think that's it. Fair. Feels like it feels like a phase two movie at the end of phase three. I would agree with that. I think that I think it perhaps would have been interesting. I understand the thing. I understand its placement. I understand her mm-hmm. criticism of its placement as well. Because in many ways, it is set up to be the bridge between Infinity War and Endgame. And I think it's fair to call out that, you know, why are you sticking this on this character here? Maybe that's where I think the misperception I think, I think it it's flow that way. Though, I right? think they did too, but I think that's where perhaps you could misjudge it. Like it's being sent into here, sent in here as a filler. Right. And it's and not it's a not, filler. I don't, no. I don't yeah, think it's, it's a filler. It's an explanation. But I think you could easily see it as kind of a tokenism a little bit if you if you didn't really take the time to maybe analyze it or you came at it from a certain point of view. I do not want to um, de-emphasize the opinion here of uh, the of our first critic, mm-hmm. but I do think that perhaps her perception of it, though having some valid elements to it, I think maybe perhaps doesn't account for the whole thing. And again, we're two guys talking about a woman's opinion. So I'm going to try and be respectful here <laughs> again. But I, I think I agree more with the second uh, author. Um, and I think she makes a bit more nuance because in the article, and I did not read it here, but I will include the link. She does talk about Harley Quinn as a contrast. She talks about Electra and Daredevil. And she also talks about Black Panther. And she uses the Electra example mm-hmm. as kind of a um, a false start. Um I, it's, it's, I don't like, know how, yeah, like how far a, a, an early try and fail. It's like a, type a thing? try fail. It's like a try mm-hmm. fail thing where it's it's too overly reliant on um, male support to prop mm-hmm. the character up. And it's been so long since I tortured myself to watch that film, just because it's not a good film. Um, and not that I had any problem with Jennifer Garner playing Electra. I actually didn't necessarily have a problem with that. I just think the film was not good, and I think it was too filled with. Um, stereotypes and cliches but when you think about the fact that it was made in the late 1990s are we that surprised was the was Jennifer... it, no i'm sorry it was a two it was early 2000 sorry I'm, I'm i'm thinking it was way too earlier than it was it was the early aughts but i think even then there was a there was not a good grasp on how perhaps we should be handling female driven characters okay. in this genre and that is a complication that i think goes back to comic books themselves being a highly male dominated world, but that's not the way it always was. Speaking a little bit to comic book history, and if anybody wants to read a great little bit on this, David Hyde's The Ten Cent Play actually opens with an interview of a woman who used to be a comic book artist and about why she left. Because in the 1950s, there was such an extreme backlash against comic books that the only people, if you say, oh, comic books is nothing but a bunch of white guys, well, they're the only ones who stuck around. They drove out the comic code authority uh, and the backlash to comic books uh, created such a fury as, and I'll, I'll put it this way. Grant Morrison describes it this way in his book, super gods. He says, if you told somebody you worked in comic books in the 1950s was equivalency of going to a dinner party, getting on top of the table, removing your clothes to reveal a leather suit, a BDSM <laughs> out. And making lewd, kinky comments. He said that was the equivalency. I'm paraphrasing, but he's he's making a point. He's making a very hyperbolic point. Sure. That, I mean, and it's like basically what it was like telling somebody that you collected kitty porn is what they treated them. Jesus. 
And so it drove people out. It drove women who had been yeah, involved okay. in it. It drove a lot of minorities out. It closed a lot of different publishers so that all we ended up with who survived were what became DC and Marvel. At the time, it was Timely and um, whatever DC was at the time. But they're the ones who survived. And it was not really a thing that used to be the way it was. But, you know, if you want to talk about strong female characters, folks, I will tell you, go read Action Comics number one and pay attention to Lois Lane. Talk about a strong female presence. Jerry sure. Siegel and Joe Schuster knew how to create women with agency, but that is before the code. And after the code, we saw a lot more turning to stereotypes. And we are now finally at a point where that is becoming something we are getting out of. And I think there is resistance from people who think it's been too long. They're also resistant from, shall we say, other male figures who might think, well, we don't need this. And I'm of the kind of sort in the middle where I say, no, we do need this. I accept that we waited too long, but we need these things. We need to be inclusive because that's how I feel about comic books. And I think that the movie should represent that too. No, I agree. I, I mean, realize I've talked a lot on this podcast. <laughs> I've got opinions. <laughs> Who would have guessed? I know. No, I mean, I think you're right though. I, I think that there's a lot to be said. Um, around yeah i i think it would be interesting to kind of see like to to if we were to tell to be able to go back in time now maybe not mm -hmm. all the way but like recognizing what we understand now and place captain marvel earlier in the series would mm -hmm. this still be a discussion right because at that point which should be introduced as equal versus kind of a late stage addition which I don't I think, think we, at that point elevates the arguments against her. I don't think we would have avoided this discussion any other way. That's mm -hmm. uh, so the one criticism I will say about our first uh, the Joe Ho's article is that one of the things I think it misses is that it doesn't matter where we put it. I think this would have come anyway. I think one of the reasons that perhaps Marvel was reluctant is that they needed to build an audience base, you know, and unfortunately that audience base is probably mainly men. And, and I once, think once you one have of the invested in the universe, mm -hmm. it becomes easier to expand. Right. You know. No, agreed. And I was going to say, I think one of the reasons that it can feel jarringly feminist, right, as as the uh, first author, I think, you know, was put it, mm -hmm. um, is because we're so used to something different right it's yeah. the first it's it is jarringly different it is jarringly i wouldn't call it abrasive but noticeable right when a movie does not sexualize its female characters when a movie i think it has to be not, controversial it had to be you know, controversial have a love in interest, interest you yeah. know it i mean even jude law they try to put it up and, and it's like it was never even really kind of hinted at that much even, well even know? even if the even the slightest tinge of that would be tainted by the realization that he is basically an abuser. Of course, of course. You know, so I But I I'm saying I don't think it was there, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. I think it was it was bound to be a lightning rod no matter what, no matter when right. you put it, but because it's the lead, it's the first venture into this new territory, it's gonna have to take some hits. And to be and, quite and, honest, and be quite honest, Captain Marvel as a character can take those hits, my friend. Sure. <laughs> I I also wonder, you know, in, in the inverse, what happens if you somehow do have a the black widow movie comes earlier 
it's not really a question and you have now captain marvel comes later how does her as this movie inter- character introduction work out then I don't know, because that'd be, this that'd does be feel very forward, right? It's it's very Carol centric, but of course it is. I think and, that we would have had a trap if there mm-hmm. had been a Black Widow movie sooner. The chances of it being unfortunately locked into a anti feminist, not necessarily anti feminist, but very stereotypical movie would have been much higher. Like a one like Woman a, like eighty four. Yeah, oh, <laughs> that was such a disappointing film. Um, comparatively, what it had, mm-hmm. what it had been coming from with the first one, uh, which again is a is I think another wonderful depiction of a strong feminist character. However, <laughs> uh, I think they kind of spoiled that. Uh, you know, uh, she is like the only thing I enjoyed, to be quite honest, about Batman v Superman was when she showed up. I was like, oh, thank God, something, something positive. Because otherwise, I even I was getting like, oh, please, would you guys get over your Martha thing? Please Martha, stop. please stop, please stop. <laughs> yeah, okay. So we've gotten off track here. Let's uh, let's, All right. let's swing back. <laughs> All right. So I I think we we have talked enough. I think um, what I would like to encourage, <laughs> and um, maybe we can get some follow up thoughts here. Ooh. I really would like to think that maybe we should uh, find a way to make an addendum to this one, or perhaps the upcoming Marvels film. And we should definitely get some female voices on here and have a, a more enlightened Ooh. conversation be, just beyond us. But that means, folks, I need you to tell me your thoughts. We want to hear them. We're just two cis male white guys sitting here uh, talking about this, trying to you know be respectful. But if you disagree with us, tell us. Hit us up at notfunnyguys.offthereel at gmail.com right in. Hit us up on Instagram at, at not underscore under bunny underscore guys underscore presents and over at Twitter for now, I guess, at not funny guys pod and on blue sky at the, the not funny guys. And I'm not doing that. Don't even make that to me. I refuse to say it. It's going to be dead soon. So, everybody, until next time, stay strange and keep asking questions. Yeah, thank you guys later. Later. Don't cancel us. Yeah.